Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast. I am your host, Jerry Knack, and I have a very, very special guest this week on the show. She hails from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. She is a writer, and she's the creator of something called Morbid Planet. Please welcome to the program, Erin Chapman. Erin, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on tonight. Oh, most assuredly. You know, I've been wanting to have you on the show for, for quite a while, and you know, kind of to set this whole thing up is, you know, when we first met or first started talking or, or even just trading posts, uh, it was because, um, you had created numerous Facebook groups about, uh, the horror genre, vampires and, and, and that kind of thing. And now you, you're onto, uh, this really, really cool venture that involves uh, a website, a blog and a YouTube channel called morbid planet. Yes. Yeah, we have um, lots of Facebook groups with uh, most of them I do co-admin with uh, my colleague, Anthony Hogg. So we do have a lot of different ones and a lot of them are vampire related. And over the years, it's just kind of branched out into Morbid Planet, which is a couple years ago. And then that just kind of kept going because vampires are great and I love vampires, but it was just too niche. I needed to get into more things as well. And morbid planet allowed me to include a lot more things. Fair. And, and I'm, <laughs> I've kind of gone the other way, right? I've, I, the past few years, I've been doing this countdown on my favorite 100 horror movies for Halloween. This year, yeah. I decided to go niche and do vampire movies. So, yeah. Um, so Dr. Gordon Melton who I've been reading for years with his Encyclopedias of the Undead. You actually are mentioned. Uh, you get your own bio, you get your own page, whatever you want to call it, in his book called The Vampire Almanac. And as we were talking uh, off air, not a lot of regular people, right, end up in this, this in his books. It's performance artists. It's, uh, you know, vampire history, vampire culture, uh, lore, um, that kind of thing. But you have carved out a niche for yourself uh, as a researcher, as a writer, um, as somebody who is who's gone further than even a hobbyist. Right? This is this is like a vocation for you. It's getting there. Yeah, it's what I aspire to do. You know, quit your day job and you know do that for a living. But um, yeah, it's just started it years ago, and it's just been kind of morphing as I go along and kind of figuring it out, and it's doing what I like to do. So that's what I really like about it. And it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a parallel on, on my end, right? Because for me, it was always, if I was ever going to write a book, I was going to write vampire books or at least one. Right. And I managed yeah. to write three of them so far with another one on the way. And, um, you know, the genre has always been something very, very interesting to me. I, I can point to the moment where I discovered it, right? I saw something called Dan Curtis's Dracula, a made-for-TV movie starring Jack Palance as Dracula back in the 70s. And that hooked me on the genre, hooked me on the character. That led me down the road to gothic horror and and universal monsters and, and eventually, you know, Hammer, Hammer Studios and, and their films. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I've always read, you know, horror over the years. How did you get into it? Um, I started with horror stuff as well. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read a lot and at a high reading level compared to, I guess, most other kids in our grade. So I was reading like Stephen King and other things when I was small and 
I don't think my parents really cared what I read. They just knew that I read a lot. <laughs> so it'd be like getting whatever I could from the library. Um, I also liked horror movies a lot. So I know we were talking the other day about, uh, what was it you said you saw? You saw something from back in the day. It wasn't, uh, was it Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes, I watched Nightmare <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street, the original film from 1984. I had never seen it from beginning yeah. to end. Seen a you know, hundred clips from it, knew the story, but never yeah. had watched the film all the way through. <laughs> so when I was a kid, like, you know, I as I was old enough to watch them, we watched stuff like that or, you know, Friday the 13th and all that kind of stuff. And when I got into high school, um, I remember at the library, I found a copy of Anne Rice's Vampire Lestat. And I read that. And that's what kind of hooked me and steered me in the vampire direction. And after I read it, I was like, oh, this wasn't even the first one. So I had to go and find, you know, the first book in the series and read those. And yeah, just kind of went from there. I remember that year when I did it, I joined like the Anne Rice fan club and, and it was just supernatural things in general. I liked as well, if I had to pick something that was more preferred. So it just kind of went from there and just different movies, different things. And that's one of the things actually, um, it's really fun to talk to Gordon about is vampire pop culture. And cause he collects everything and anything with DVDs and, so it's, it's interesting to talk to him. For instance, we've had conversations about like True Blood and Vampire Diaries. So considering he's such, to me, it's more like he's such a scholar. But sure. it's, it is fun, though, discussing that kind of stuff with him. Yeah, I can imagine so. And, <clears throat> and even in a movie like uh, Blade Trinity, which, which had a very, very bad de- depiction of Dracula, um, yeah. you know, vampire pop culture and vampire uh, kitsch was was made fun of in that film um it, it's really interesting because i'm a big fan of hp lovecraft and a lot of a lot of his writing and uh, it's interesting kind of the same thing has happened with with the cthulhu mythos in in that you know it's it's permeated pop culture right so yeah. um and even parodied in hotel transylvania right everybody uh, nobody's afraid of the monsters anymore they're they're all fans now right they're all our friends <laughs> I love watching that. That makes me laugh. <laughs> right, right, and, and you know, and and they're fun movies, and and I actually don't mind Adam Sandler as Dracula in those. But um, you know, we've got to get Anthony Hogg on at some point. We've got to coordinate from all the way from Australia because I really want to get into vampire literature with him at some point. And he have and I have had a little little tete a tete online about you know kind of the <laughs> kind of the origins of, of vampire literature. But yeah. what, I, what I want to start with, and I don't want to get too deep into this one particular book because I know you don't like it uh, from our conversations, but <laughs> but I think we probably both can agree that the modern vampire genre kicks off with Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1897. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right. I know you don't like the book. We can. That's a that's a topic for another podcast for another day, right? I just <laughs> I just hope you give it another chance. I agree with you. There's parts of that book that are a slog, um, but at the same time, I think um, the beginning of the book is absolutely brilliant, and 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 the character. It's, I just I tried so hard to get into it, and I'm just like. Uh, I kept just, and I made myself finish it. And then I remember when I got to the end and sorry, spoilers for other people, if you haven't read it, but it was like, it got all the way up to like two pages before the end and then everything. And I was like, this is it. 
this is, you know, yeah. how they end it. And yeah, yeah. I was really, I was so disappointed and annoyed. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, and, and, you know, if you look at the way, the way the, the book has been adapted since then, the ending has been changed, stylized, all kinds of things. And uh, there's a great BBC production from 1977 starring Louis Jordan as, as Dracula. Um, and, and they actually make that kind of work at the end. Um, it, it's nothing like uh, 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, where they they invent this this romantic backstory to go with it. I saw that one in the theater. Oh, I, I did too. I I, yeah. I I love the the movie. It's fantastic. But kind of let's um, let's go from from 1897 to today, um, as as we talk about um, both the vampire in literature and in film. It really has been an amazing 120, 125 years or so uh, from the, this one book's publication to where we are today with the genre. It is. It is. A lot of, even if you look just back like the last, I just think of since I was a kid, like, you know, you look past the 20 years and you see what's just even come out and you know, how popular things get now because, you know, we have social media and we have everything that, you know, we didn't have as kids and just how it influences and it makes things so much more popular. Because in, in reading Gordon's books, one the thing that I realized is there are vampire myths and vampire lore in just about every culture on the planet. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that blew my mind, right? I mean, China, Japan, Germany, you name it, everywhere uh, on the planet. There's some sort of variation on, on the theme. Um, so for me, you know, one of the first things I ever saw, I think it was 11 or 12, I saw uh, a production of Phantom of the Opera, 1925, Lon Chaney, uh, with a live orchestra. And that, mm-hmm. that got me started on like universal horror, right? So it was Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, the Mummy, all of that stuff. And a lot of that uh, came from gothic horror, Penny Dreadfuls, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, literature also kind of, they, they, they paralleled each other throughout the 20th century. The, the films and, and the books. Yeah. So... As you started to get interested in in this genre with with Anne Rice, which is a great place to start, by the way, I I was really into uh, the Vampire Chronicles uh, for for a while as well. Um, you know, well, and what helped as well was when I want to say I read the book. It was about two years before the film came out, and then the film came out, and that I was just like, oh my god, now I've got the characters you know that I read in the book, and now they're on the screen and. You know, I and I know people downplay Tom Cruise, but it's one of the only movies that I really enjoy him as the actor. I think he did a good job as Lestat. I so. would agree, and I would say that Brad Pitt was miscast uh, as Louis. I think I think uh, Tom Cruise actually did a, a really good job, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Anne Rice wrote the part or wrote the character with uh, actor Rutger Hauer in mind. Yes, yes, she did. So. So how do you get from diving in with Anne Rice and and the Vampire Chronicles to going to conferences overseas? How do you get from wanting to write about this stuff? And and like I said at the top of the show, go beyond just being a, a hobbyist 
you know, creating social media uh, communities, but actually like doing the nitty gritty research. Cause we can, I'll, I'll get into Bram Stoker a little bit more in a minute um, on, on his process. But um, how did you get from point A to point B on that? Um, it's a little, it's a bit of a journey, but um, I have actually for education wise, I have a background in marketing. So I want to say it was about 10 years ago or so. Um, I made this random decision and I'm like, I want to see if I can write a book. <laughs> and that's what I was just like, I can do this. And I was looking at it from a marketing perspective. And I'm like, you know, there's a formula for everything. Um, I could write it about vampires because they interest me and people write about what you know, so it can take place in Vancouver. And I'm like, I want to see if I can do this. And I like to do a lot of things in my life as an experiment to see if I actually can do it and pull it off. And so I just sat down and I started writing and it's interesting for me because before that, I'm not a writer. I'm actually, all my life, I was more of an artist. I'm one of those people that when I was a kid, I took drawing classes, pottery classes, sketching classes, like you name it. If it was involving art, I did it. Um, even into college level, I used to do a lot of drawing and sketching and painting. And in my 20s, I want to say, I just kind of fell out of love with art. I don't know what it was, but I just did. And I decided to, when I started writing, it kind of came out and it was good because it was like, oh, this is a creative outlet I haven't had in years. And it just felt very comfortable and it was easy to do. And I just kind of kept going and it took me about a year. And next thing I knew, I had about 400 pages <laughs> and I actually had written a book um, and I'd even researched it. I did all these things intertwined it with stuff that had happened in history. It is about vampires as well and supernatural. Um, and then I was like, okay, from a marketing perspective, I'm like, you know, social media, I need to figure out how to promote this. If I do get it published, if I, you know, proceed and go that far with this. So I went and started browsing on Facebook to try to find some vampire groups to see, you know, what else was out there, like-minded people, network, things like that. And it was funny, one of the first groups I joined was actually Anthony Hogg's group, The Vampirologist. So, which I think you're a member of that group as well. I sure am. Ones. Yeah. So it was funny, we just kind of hit it off and started talking about different things and um I said what I'd done and we just kind of from there it just kind of kept going and I remember at that point Anthony was looking for I think it was submissions for his blog at the time that he had and I was saying how I'd actually met Anne Rice about a month before I met him online um because she came out here for a book signing and it was at a local conference center place here so I went and met her got my book signed that kind of thing and he was like oh can you write about the experience that you had meeting Anne Rice and I was like I guess so because you know I don't really write things like that and I wrote it and he was actually happy with it kind of like you've never written before and I'm like not really especially like an article slash you know blog post and stuff and from there just kind of grew over time we ended up um basically creating vamped which is um online content for vampire articles things like that i think we have at least 
200, maybe 300 articles on there at this point. I don't know. And a few um, reviews of a couple of books by some hack writer you might know. <laughs> so we have that and it's, we haven't written anything for a while on there just because since then we kind of expanded to different projects, but vamped was a very good thing for me to basically learn about writing articles and Anthony would graciously teach me different things and he would help me edit and go through things like that. So it was a very good learning experience. And through doing all of that, I actually found out, wow, I can write and do things like this, which made it even better and then made me enjoy it more. So it's been a lot of growing and that's, I met him back in 2013 so it just kind of kept going from there. And as we wrote articles for Vamped and we made the website ourselves and did all of that, we started making more Facebook groups to promote Vamp, to promote the material that we were writing and getting things out there, which is how we ended up with so many because we have Facebook groups for vampire events, vampire dining, vampire music, vampire community, vampire fans. Like, there's a whole bunch of them out there. So we both co-admin all of those together. And as we just kind of kept going with the vamped ones, um, when was it? Back in 2015, I guess, was when I went to Texas. Um, so Anthony worked with, um, worked with Dax and worked with some other people and they all kind of coordinated and got a vampire symposium put together in Texas. So I flew down from Vancouver to Texas. Anthony, who's based in Australia, actually flew over from Australia. So it's the only time we've ever met each other since we've known each other in 2013 was we saw each other in Texas for, I think it was three or four days. And so that was really cool for someone I've been talking to for a few years to actually meet them in person and hang out with them. Absolutely. And yeah, that's where I met Gordon and Michael Bell and um, Thomas Garza and just met a whole bunch of scholars, which to me, it was kind of weird because I'm not a scholarly type person. Like, sure, when I was in school, I was in honors, you know, I got really good grades, stuff like that. But I'm a very more of a people person. So I will talk to anyone and everyone anywhere. <laughs> no matter where you are, you could be in an elevator and I'll just start talking to you. I don't mind. I'm not embarrassed. I am the same exact <laughs> way to the chagrin of my own family. Uh, I know. <laughs> we'll, be at the, we'll be at Ace Hardware and I'll strike up a conversation. You know, those doctor, I don't know if you've seen him up there in Canada, but the Dr. Rick commercials. Uh, Dr. Rick's trying to keep um, folk, homeowners from becoming their parents. And, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to keep people from talking to the plumber who's fixing the, uh, the sink. No, you hired him. You're not, you're not helping him. You hired him. Uh, I'm the same way. I, I, the same exact way you are, uh, when it comes to, to talking to anybody. And, you know, I've become a history buff, right? I, I mean, I was a historian in my last job for three years of the 20 I was there. Um, yeah. but you know, I've taken to watching a lot of documentaries. That's the, the beautiful thing about YouTube is you want to know anything, go go watch YouTube. Oh, I uh, know. <laughs> right? And I watched a brilliant documentary about how Bram Stoker wrote Dracula and where he got the idea, what he researched, um, and 
the last time I was in Philadelphia, the Rosenbach was closed because it was Christmas weekend. So I was unable to oh, go. Oh, okay. And all yeah. his notes are there and all these documents. Yes. And, and I really, really wish I could have uh, could have seen it. But in this documentary, what I found really, really interesting, and, and this becomes our crossover into uh, the horror genre itself, is that if you do go back and read Dracula again or pay attention to any of what comes out of it, Bram Stoker researched an awful lot of werewolf lore. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll notice that the Dracula character has a lot of werewolf characteristics. Yeah. But what I find is that the werewolf genre itself, as we talk about horror and Halloween and all that stuff, the werewolf genre is horribly underserved. Yeah, it's not my favorite to watch or read. Um, I want to say one of the ones that I liked over the years, if we're talking about werewolves, was Ginger Snaps. Absolutely, I liked that. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. And so I don't know if you knew this or not, but Elizabeth Perkins, who plays Ginger's sister, mm-hmm. was in the 1990 It. She played young Beverly. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen that one for years. I'd have to go back and look at it. Right, and I mean, you'll recognize um, Emily Perkins right off the bat. You'll you'll know yeah. you'll, just the look on her face and and kind of that all you know, the uh attitude that she has, um, <laughs> right? But so as we as we talk about vampires and that kind of thing, uh, before we get into the horror genre as a whole, which I, I really want to talk to you about. Uh, and by the way, you are listening to the Get the Knack podcast with your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm joined by Aaron Chapman, who is a writer and founder, creator of something called Morbid Planet, which is a blog and a YouTube channel uh, talking about all things macabre and horror. Um, you know, I really find, find it very interesting about how the whole genre the vampire genre has evolved and you know i think i think we've we've traded traded barbs on on facebook about this but i'm kind of a genre purist and i know i've i've had friends of mine go how can you want something to stick to the rules if it's fictional and doesn't exist but <laughs> but at the same time you have a lot of things especially in recent memory that have played around in the margins of the genre. And I, and I do like things that do kind of play around in the margins, right. And, and kind of turn it on, uh, on its head. Things like, um, 30 days of night, mm-hmm. right. Um, things of that nature. Um, I tried to watch, uh, only lovers left alive recently. I was horribly disappointed. Um, but it took me, I watched it. I think I've seen it three times now and it wasn't till I watched it the second time. The first time I was kind of like, uh, and then the second time I watched it, I actually enjoyed it more. I don't know why. So yeah, it took me the two goes, but I remember everyone had hyped it up so much that I know. And they're like, Oh, you have to watch. This is amazing. And then like I said, after I watched it, I was just like, Oh, this wasn't what I was expecting. And everyone said it was amazing. But the second go, I, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it. I'll go back and watch 1983's The Hunger before I watch Only Lovers Left Alive again. That's a good one, too. Yes, I enjoy that one. Right? So, what are your thoughts just on how the genre has evolved over time? What, 
does it reflect things in society? I mean, because obviously everything's cyclical, right? Because recently we've had the the resurgence of zombies, especially with The Walking Dead and some other mm-hmm. things. And vampires, all they all come back around again, right? So we just had Midnight, Midnight Mass, right? Which was, was an interesting uh, limited series. Um, that we can talk I about. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, I'm you, going to, but I haven't watched it yet. Okay, so we won't, we, no spoilers on that one. So <laughs> I, I'm interested to know your thoughts on it. Uh, same same people who brought uh, brought us Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And, um, you know, it's, it's I, I have mixed feelings about it. There's some good things. There's some things, we'll just leave it at that. So anyway, what are your thoughts on how the genre, specifically vampires, have, have evo- has evolved over time? Well, it's one of those things where you get people, I guess nowadays, is like Twilight. People love to hate Twilight, and that's just how it's kind of come over the years. Um, yet, and Vampire Diaries sometimes get some of that hate as well, and I actually enjoyed those. Like, Twilight, uh, I read the books originally as a research purpose. I remember because I just wanted to hear and I wanted to see what it was all about. Cause you know, people I know, even like adults were reading it. So I was like, okay, I have to read this cause it's vampires and you know, I need to know. And I didn't enjoy the books at all. They're horribly written. <laughs> I've heard that. Um, I've not written, uh, I've not read them myself, but I've heard that kind of like 50 shades of gray. Right. So I, I haven't read those cause I was like, I, I can't. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I read the first one because I wanted to see what the hype was and I I couldn't make it through the second one. Well, and it's funny because with the Twilight series, so I read the whole thing. Um, I even bought the other ones that she had with the gender swap. Mm. So that was the worst one. Oh my God. I can't. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I actually found myself just skimming and going through just to see what happened at the end. Um, I do have those still, I got it when I guess it came out what about a year ago. Um, Midnight Sun. I haven't read that one yet. That's supposed to be from Edward's point of view as sure. opposed to Bella's. Um, but it's one of those things where even though people love to hate it, like it or not, it's influenced the genre so much. Just it has. And people, they don't want to admit that. And it's kind of like back in the day. Um, Anne Rice's what book came out in the first one, I think, was it 76 when it came out? Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Like when that came out, that was so influential as well. And then we have the Vampire Diaries, which was around the same, I think Vampire Diaries is what, 2008 it started around Yeah, I think think it just predates Twilight. Yeah. So we had then 2010 for Twilight and they kind of, I think both in a way piggybacked off each other's success. But again, people, you know, you've got Vampire Diaries, you got start out with kids in high school and all this stuff. And, but I liked the characters. A couple of the characters were really shitty and horrible, but otherwise, some of the characters I really enjoyed. And I think they've had such a major influence on, on the genre, whether people like to admit it or not. Like with the Twilight um, whole fiasco it's like i even went out of my way to go to forks washington where twilight was supposed to take place even though they did a lot of the filming out here in vancouver sure um and they did some at mount st helens i believe over there or st helens um so i went out there and i actually met the mayor went for dinner with him because i picked his brain and interviewed him about you know how has your little town changed and 
how you marketed it and everything and how they dealt with being bombarded with thousands of people every month. And it was really interesting to hear, like they kind of got on the bandwagon when they should have to deal with stuff like that. And I also, um, the chamber of commerce, I met with people there as well. And it was, it was great. I met their number one fan who lives in uh, Forks. Um, she actually made quilts and other things like that. So it was amazing. Um, <laughs> it was great. And, you know, they have, they still have like their information center when we went and they have all these souvenirs still that you can buy and you can go like see the high school. You can, it's just everything and they've marketed it well. So they even still have festivals each year for Bella's birthday. Yeah, I've heard about that. I didn't go for that. I actually missed that. But I stayed also in a Twilight-themed hotel room when I was there, (laughs) which was one of the only hotels in the whole, uh, I guess, place. I don't even know if it's a – I'd say it's a town. Um, There's one traffic light. There's one traffic light in the whole place. It's a town, yeah. It's it's funny because I just moved to Washington as we've talked about and and I live in Ocean Shores now and you know you see all the signs for Forks right and I don't know if prior to Twilight if there were actually any signs pointing to Forks or not um, Port Angeles isn't too far from there and my original yes. my original publisher was based in Port Angeles so um, you know for my uh, for my uh, Dark Passage series so w- what I will say about about the Twilight Saga, if you will. I cannot deny the cultural or pop cultural impact, right? I'm not a Bob yeah. Dylan fan, but but when Bob Dylan wins a Pulitzer Prize, you can't deny the man's cultural impact, right? Yeah. Right. So for me, I've never read any Twilight books. I've watched a nanosecond of one of the movies. The impact for me was to get back to the genre's roots. Right when I mm-hmm. wrote when I wrote my books, I purposely included a lot of genre lore, right? Especially Central European vampire lore, on purpose, right? Because because mm-hmm. I, I thought, and and Twilight's not the only thing that that you know either broke the rules or tossed the rules out or, or whatever. Um, certainly, other movies and other books have done that. But I thought that we should get back to the roots of the genre, right? Now, I'm not saying I've I've sold a, a bazillion books because I haven't, right? So my my little contribution to it has just been let's get back to the roots of this thing, right? And that's always kind of been where I where I am with it. When we look at the roots of the horror genre, in in particular, I mean, we can go way back to Edwardian Victorian times, and and you know. Uh, you know, Penny Dreadfuls and, and all kinds of stuff. We can even start with Edgar Allan Poe and move forward. But, you know, kind of what we know from the horror genre today from from a, a pop culture standpoint started in the 1930s with the what I like to call the universal monster verse, right? And a lot of other studios jumped in on it as well, right? So Paramount, MGM, they all had to have their monsters as well. They jumped in with, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and, and stuff like that. But Universal kind of cornered the market on especially gothic horror. I like to, mm-hmm. think, I like to think Mary Shelley invented two genres or at least one genre with sci- uh, science fiction with Frankenstein. Um, but movies were mining 
gothic horror for their material early on. And from 1925 with Phantom of the Opera all the way to 19, the 1950s, 1956 with the last Creature from the Black Lagoon movie, Universal almost had a corner on the market of, of horror films. And we had the usual suspects. We had Dracula and other vampires. We had the mummy. We had the Wolfman. And we had Frankenstein's monster. And it seems like from World War II on and, you know, into the late 50s, we didn't we didn't really have a whole lot of horror films. And then here comes Hammer in 1958 with the horror of Dracula and Christopher Lee reinventing the character. Uh, and and that runs all the way to the early 1970s, right? And, and it seemed like there were a few tributaries, a few ancillary uh, films. When you look at kind of horror in general, right, the 1950s, we, we got to look at uh, science fiction as well. When you look at the giant bug movies, right, we got Tarantula, Them, and a, and a whole host of others. I've always believed that, that horror films are reflective of what we're afraid of as a society at any given time. And I think today's horror films, and this kind of started in the late 70s, early 80s with the slasher films, mm-hmm. it's the human monster we're most afraid of now. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's the other thing too, if you go and look at um, like the Vampire Diaries to me is they, I think they more humanize the vampire in that because it's, you know, focused on their lives, what's going on. And then they kind of mix in stuff that's happened. Do you know what I mean? Because you start out with all these kids originally in high school and then eventually they graduate and then they're out of high school and how their lives are going and at first, a lot of them are all human, and then, you know, there's one or two vampires, and then as the series goes on, then it's like, oh, now it's like, I think what in the end, there was, like, Matt, who was the only non-vampire. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone else had turned into, like, a witch or a vampire or a werewolf or something. So. So, that no, you, may, you bring up a, a good point, and not that I want to belabor the point about the stuff that I've written myself, right? Um, but it is my show. <laughs> Um, but no, I think one of the things that I, I focused on in, especially the dark truth, when my main character becomes a vampire, is you're this new thing. So how do you get along in the world, right? What do you, you know, you especially when you're Elizabeth, my character, and you have impulse control problems, and, um, you know, you're a mess half the time, and you got to worry about, presenting yourself as you move around in the world even though it's at night you're in the shadows um you're still going to be seen by people right so it's kind of a similar situation as you were just talking about right it's you have people who have real lives all of a sudden have this condition foisted upon them Mm -hmm. so how do you deal with that how do you you know, what's next for you? And, and I'm going to give spoilers away because, you know, they've been out for a while. But, you know, in, in one of the scenes in one of my books, um, Elizabeth goes and gets her hair done. She kind of enchants or bewitches a, a hairdresser and gets her hair done because she needs to move around. But she also has to be incognito as well. Well, and that's one of the things I enjoyed about your book was basically this aspect was, you know, and how everything was new to her and how she had to sort her life out and, okay, how do I keep going and how do I adapt? And, okay, oh, shit, I killed someone. I have blood everywhere. I can't walk around like this. (laughs) It's like, you know. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about it early, early in the show, and you are listening to the Get the Knack podcast with Jerry Knack and my special guest, Aaron Chapman. Um, we talked about it earlier about things like Nightmare on Elm Street, right? We could talk about mm-hmm. we could talk about Halloween, which is which is in in the consciousness again with Halloween Kills. But you know, I think one of the things I I find very interesting is you have horror stories. Nobody believes anybody in these stories. Meanwhile, the oogity boogity, the boogeyman, or, or whoever or whatever it is, uh, is stalking real people who have real lives and real problems. You look at Nightmare on Elm Street, and his high school kids are being tormented by, you know, this this child molester or accused child molester who's come back from the grave. You have mm-hmm. you have uh, Michael Myers, you have Jason Voorhees, you have all these folks, but the people in these stories are real people with real lives, and all of a sudden they're thrust into these situations. And I and I find it's a trope. It's it's repeated over time, and you find it in a lot of Stephen King stories as well. Nobody believes the 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 victims or the people who are afflicted. Right? The cops don't believe them. Nobody believes them. Mm-hmm. And I find that I don't know if that's a way of keeping real world authorities out of the story, right? Uh, yeah. Like I guess that's one of the things was like again with Vampire Diaries for so many years with the show. It's like they kept everything you know from the local sheriffs and the cops, and they're like, "Oh, another animal attack." Quote is what <laughs> happened because somebody died, and it's right. like. Oh, we've had like what 20 animal attacks in the last month. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, I know. And then as the series progressed eventually, then it's like, oh, to add another spin, they did let the cops in on it and they did know what was happening. And then they helped them cover it up even more to save the down. So it just kind of shifts. But yeah, <laughs> it's like here they are protecting a town, doing their regular job, yet they got to worry about all the werewolves, the witches, and the vampires out there. Right, and you know it was interesting. Um, I, I I wrote a blog about it. Um, there there was a made for TV movie in the seventies uh, called Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Right, and it's played by Darren. I've McGavin. heard of it. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's the full movie's on YouTube. You got to watch it. Um, and you know Darren McGavin from A Christmas Story. He plays the dad, uh, and he's he's this this wily uh, gruff newspaper reporter in Las Vegas. And um, what I found really really interesting was how it was interwoven with the local authorities right so it was the local authorities you know they're acknowledging that these murders are happening they're not acknowledging the possibility of the supernatural being part of the equation but it's really interwoven you have a newspaper man you have the police you have the local district attorney you have all these folks are interwoven into the story and it's very realistic, right? So on the surface, it's a serial killer, right? Which, you know, obviously the local authorities are going to get involved and, and the police are going to investigate. But then when you get the supernatural part of it involved, you do have the one person who thinks, okay, something, you know, oogity boogity's happening. Nobody believes him, of course, right? Um, but what I found interesting was how it was interwoven into our societal infrastructure, right? The investigation was a real investigation. And I thought it was really, really well done. I recommend you see the movie. Uh, like I said, you can find it on uh, YouTube in its entirety. Uh, yeah. And it was a made for TV thing, but it was really, really well done. 
<laughs> I, and you know, I watched it recently. I hadn't seen it in you know thirty, forty years, and and I thought it was fantastic. I love Darren McGavin, um, but I do, I do really believe that that horror movies, and if you'll indulge me here for a second, um, have everything to do with what we're afraid of as a society at the time. And I wanted to expound on that a little bit because you go back to the thirties when horror movies really, really became a thing, and at first, it's let's let's go mine literature and show all the things that we have only read about, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the '40s, with World War II, eh, let's make comedies out of them, right? Let's make them funny. So you got Abbott and Costello, Meet Frankenstein, stuff like that. All right. You get into the '50s, you have two things: you have UFOs and you have giant bugs. All right, those are the two. I'm sure, yeah, where science gone wrong, or we got. UFOs. I don't watch a lot of those, as I've told you back then, but okay, no, that makes me laugh. Right, and then in the '60s, we get into the, the hippies and free love and all this other stuff. So I'm not really 100 percent sure what we're afraid of in the '60s, but you see a reboot of gothic horror in the '60s, and in the '70s. We got all kinds of stuff we're afraid of, right? We're urban blights. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of stuff we're afraid of in the 70s. And when we get into the 80s, it's our next door neighbor we start to be uh, become afraid of, right? When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but, you know, playing sports uh, for Little League or whatever, we used to go door-to-door selling stuff to raise money for uniforms, this, that, and the other thing. And I wouldn't let my kid do that today at all, right? And and there's it, – it's it's – interesting how things have changed just in 30 years but it does seem like you know every decade it's a new thing and now it's the person next door that we're we're afraid of and and frankly to me that's sad well when i was a kid i remember growing up um god i was probably only about two or three at the time but i remember my mom said that's when clifford olson was actually out and about and she was just like, even back then, you weren't allowed to play out in the yard or anything. So, yeah. And that, where I, that I, yeah, and where I grew up in Rochester, New York, we had Arthur Shawcross was, was the local serial killer. But we had another guy was known as the double initial killer. And my high school girlfriend had double initials. And she was afraid she was going to get kidnapped and murdered because her initial, you know, her first name and last name had the same letter. And that's what, yeah, what yeah. right? So, um. And, you know, as much as we see certain genres or certain characters or whatnot come back around, it does seem to be, you know, even movies like um, like Strangers, right? Strangers and Strangers Pray at Night. The first Strangers was brilliant. The second one was okay. Um, but the first one was fantastic. Um, it does just seem like you you have people it's, – it's just the regular people that we have to worry about and not so much – creatures or monsters or or that kind of thing um for me and we were kind of talking about this in a in a uh, private conversation uh the other day but for me i like to be scared i i you know i I, the suspension of disbelief that i have um when i go into watching a horror film or reading a book um i want to be scared i i hope to be scared and I enjoy it. I I don't even mind jump scares. Everybody's oh the dreaded jump scare in a film. <laughs> I don't mind a good one, right? I mean, you know, I find though that I watch so many though, and it's like I don't know. It just depends, but a lot of them I don't get scared when I watch them. Um, 
So what attracts it's, you? If you don't get scared, what attracts you? It's weird. It, it depends on which type. So if we're talking about more like, if we have like, you know, demons and ghosts and things like that, that would be, I think, more likely if I was to get scared or, you know, make me feel a little on edge or anything. It's more likely those do as opposed to like, you know, um, like I was watching, I think we were talking about this the other day. Did we, was it you and I talking about Scream? We oh, were, and yeah. I haven't seen it. Okay, so after you, <laughs> you were talking about Because I'm an that, idiot. I actually went and watched number one, and I was partway through number two the other night, because I haven't seen them in years. So I went back to watching those. And again, it's just, it's the same kind of thing, you know? It's like people. It's not so much like there's nothing supernatural about it. Right. So when you've got people going around killing everyone, it's like, those don't really bother me at all. And I just kind of watch them because it's entertaining. But more like the ones, like I said, with demons or ghosts or supernatural things. It's like haunted, um, what was it? Uh, oh, I can't even remember what it was called. I watched it, that miniseries on Netflix. Was it Haunted Hill House? Haunting of Hill House, which is the same yes. people who, who just did Midnight Mass. Yeah, and see, like that, I found certain parts of it where I was like, oh, it's really freaking creepy. And just even some, it, some of it was just the way that they filmed certain things in it. But I enjoyed those kind of things because then, you know, I'm kind of on edge. And, you know, a few times you get a little jump scare going on. But yeah, the other ones, the slasher type ones, like I'm watching right now, I PBR'd um, the latest American Horror Story double feature. And I think I'm on like episode six or seven. And it's okay, but I'm just still the same thing. I'm like, it's not really scary. I'm just kind of watching it. But, you know, I have different seasons of American Horror Story I like. Other ones I'm like, eh. So. I'm the same way with American Horror Story, right? It's, um, I'm at the point now where they're trying too hard. One of my favorite ones was the original one, again, because it was Ghosts. I liked that one. That was one of my favorite ones. Um apocalypse i was just yeah (laughs) i liked asylum asylum was my favorite yeah it's this one is okay but it's just you know i and again i'm not going to spoil it for people but uh because i'm behind behind a few episodes but again it just depends which one like the what was it 1984 that one i was like oh yeah because you know that's what they were imitating was like movies back in the day they had the lake the killers going around and you know and that, I think, maybe goes back to, like, for the movies that I watched when I was a kid, it was more like I said, Jason, or it was, you know, Michael Myers, or Freddy Krueger. We had lots of stuff like that if you wanted to watch scary movies. Right. Um, you know, you had Hellraiser and stuff like that. Those are a little bit different. Um, what was the one that I watched? I thought it was weird. Uh, what was it called? They're all weird. <laughs> No, I remember <laughs> not to put too little. fine a point on it. Uh, I when I was watched it, was it Jacob's Ladder? Ah, uh, you know what? That, it's it's funny because I I've, I've was been, that the one with like the voodoo slash yeah, zombie? I've, I've not seen it, but yeah, oh, I, the, okay. It had, it's very well regarded. I know I know of the film you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. So see, because that one was like more supernatural type stuff when I was a kid. That weirded me out more. Gotcha. But seeing, you know, Jason going around freaking stabbing like 30 people in a movie, I'm like, I'm okay with that. Fair <laughs> enough. So. Fair enough. So where is your head with the Conjuring franchise? I actually enjoy them. 
I do. I haven't seen the As latest one. The, the, actually, the new one uh, is is definitely better than like Annabelle Comes Home. The new one, yeah. the new one, The Devil Made Me Do It, is actually really, really good. I find a lot of the films and the, the entire canon hit or miss. Yeah. Um, you know, like The Nun was okay, right? Um, predictable. That and, one I actually shut off partway through, and yeah. it takes a lot for me to not finish a movie. And I just remember I was like, I'm not entertained at all. And <laughs> I was just like, no. So, right. Yeah. And no, and I get that, right? But Conjuring, Conjuring 2, even uh Annabelle Creation, some of some of these these films have been absolutely fantastic. And and now we go dancing into James Wan territory. And I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, but I had been seeing the trailers for Malignant. And I haven't, but I wanted to, and I okay. think you're the one that said it right. wasn't. Yeah. Okay. So I posted, and this this is where I really want to get into uh, the social media aspect of what you do. Mm. So I had seen the trailers, and I thought, "Wow, you know, this looks interesting." I were that's what the trailers do, right? And I love movie trailers. I, I used to sit and watch movie trailers on Apple, like you know, for hours on end. I love movie trailers. Um. And I thought, wow, okay, James Wan, we're, we got a, a new horror film. And, you know, a lot of films made in the COVID era look like they were shot on an iPhone. So <laughs> I, I'm looking for something good here. And I watched Malignant, and it vaulted to the top of the list of some of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Now, since you haven't seen it, I don't want to give you any spoilers, so I won't do that. But, okay. but what I wanted to, to talk to you about with the, with regards to this particular one is this social media reaction because this is a polarizing film. You have two camps. You have my camp that hated the fucking thing who thinks it's an <laughs> absolutely terrible movie, right? It's It starts, uh, like I said, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Anyway, right? So there's so much to it. You're just like, you got to be kidding me. And I don't know why Zoe Bell attached herself to this. I love Zoe Bell. And I think she's one of the greatest stunt women of all time. And I don't know why she's in this thing. But the other half of that is social media is like, oh, this is a great film. How dare you not like it? James Wan's a genius. All this other stuff. It's it's uh, an homage to giallo, Italian horror, blah, blah, blah. The debate on social media about this film has been nothing short of epic. <laughs> Everything debated on social media is epic. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays. Well played. Well played. Because I'm a Candyman fan, okay? I love Candyman, and I don't know if you've seen the original Candyman from 1992 oh, with, with Tony Todd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony, years ago. Right. Tony Todd and I follow each other on Twitter. And I say it that way rather than, oh, yeah, Tony Todd follows me on Twitter. <laughs> right. So the original Candyman follows me on Twitter for crying out loud. And I, I'm a big fan of his and, and a lot of his work. And, um, you know, I love the original Candyman with, with him and Virginia Madsen and the whole folklore behind it. I just watched the new one. and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and a lot of people said, oh, it's too woke. And my comment back was, didn't you see the original? I, eh, you, you, you don't know what you're you're looking at, right? It, 
So, but I guess what I wanted to explore with you was, does it seem like the horror genre in general uh, fosters more spirited debate than anything else? Like I said, I think everything's a debate nowadays, but um, I think it's, in a way it's good. Social media is good in a way it's bad for it because it's like, it can just influence someone's decision so much on something that could just be no offense to people, but garbage. And then people play it up and say it's so amazing. And then, you know, people just get on a bandwagon, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and, you know, I mean, it's also about whose opinion you respect, right? So if you, if you respect my opinion with some people, because some people are more passionate, I will say is a polite way on social media to argue with people about certain things. Um, (laughs) it just depends on how much they want to argue about it or. Well, it's, it's just gotten to the point where I don't think we can have, you know, polite discourse about anything. You know, and I've, and I've had to catch myself, uh, with this as well. If you like something, you like something, right? I'm not going to tell you don't like Twilight, right? Yeah. I, I don't care for it. I, I, I saw an interview with Stephanie Meyer on Oprah and, and I did not care for the woman at all. And it, and it turned me off. But I'm not going to tell you, Aaron Chapman, don't read the books, don't watch the movie. Because if that's what you like, that's what you like. I, who am I to tell you what to watch and what to read? Yeah, and that's, that's the hard part. Because especially over the years, again, with the Twilight hate, is especially in a lot of our groups that we have online, it's like... If you, I like to share a lot of articles. So if I see something that's interesting and it could be talking about like, you know, Twilight, this happened, or did you know these fun facts or like you post anything about it. And then instantly in our vampire fans group, which I think is about 9,000 people, um, you'll get two or three right away. Oh my God, Twilight is garbage. And, and I can't believe you're sharing this and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's funny because they just come out of the woodwork. And some of them are just nasty pieces of work. And then you'll have some of the actual fans like, oh, my God, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed this. Or I, my daughter and, you know, I now read these. And, you know, you get a lot of positive feedback. But then you get these, you know, a-holes that are just like, no, this is pure garbage. And you guys don't know what you're talking about. And You, and you then can you've cuss got- on the show, by the way. You, you can <laughs> actually use the, the words. I'm not a big cusser, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I'm very, very angry, then I cuss. But gotcha. yeah, otherwise, I don't. Well, for um, fuck's sake, Aaron. See, <laughs> here, here's the thing. Uh, this is a, this is becoming an alcohol fueled rant. But anyway, um, no. I, and and the thing is, I've done that right in those in those conversations in those groups. And and usually, my first comment back always is, "You you assume that that this is a vampire thing, right? Yeah. So, you know." My again, like I said at, at the beginning of the program, we all these these things play around in the margins, right? So yeah, and and again, when when it comes to these things, these are fictional things. So so who are we to be the arbiters of what's what, 
right? And and we were talking a little bit about the the werewolf genre, right? Much of the 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 werewolf lore that we know today was invented by Universal Films in in 1941's The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. Right, of oh, the 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 Wolfsbane, the Moon, all of that. Uh, so much of that was invented by movies, not mm-hmm. so much any kind of actual folklore, because a lot of werewolf folklore is in Native American folklore, shapeshifters and that kind of thing. So, um, it, it's it's really interesting. You know, I have to get over myself sometimes when it comes to this. That the bottom line is, you like what you like. And if I don't when like you, malignant, I don't like malignant. But that doesn't make no. me a rotten person. No, and you're allowed to not like it. That's the life. That's you know, people have taste. That's what you know. Yeah, you and I, you and I had a, a, a Facebook discussion about Vampire Diaries, and I asked you about it, and I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it. Right? I said, yeah. "Is this any good? Do you like it?" Right? I'm curious about about such things, and you know, and I it tr- was funny too that you say that because. I watched the entire series when it was on TV and I didn't enjoy it as much until I watched it the second time. Okay. So again, I seem to enjoy stuff more like when I've watched it again, maybe it's cause I'm paying more attention. Not really sure, but I did watch the entire, I don't even know how many seasons there were at this point, maybe eight, nine. Um, I binged it and went through the whole thing again and yeah, and I liked it and it's because then they also have a spinoff and you know, the originals, and then now you've got the legacies. So it's like they've had all these different spinoffs. So out of all of them, though, I liked the originals the best if I had to pick out of the three. So, gotcha. Well, you know, for me, it's 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 kind of interesting. I, I look at uh, different aspects of the horror genre, the vampire genre, right? And you know, you look at something like, uh, and we we touched on it a little while ago, but you look at something like Thirty Days of Night. Which, which sprang from a, a graphic novel and very unique concept, uh, very well done movie. Um, and, and, you know, just like with zombies, right? You, you look at George Romero's 1968 Night of the Living Dead as the definitive movie for today's va- uh, zombie genre, right? 30 Days a Night plays around in the margins. These are different vampires we haven't seen before. Yeah. And that's the thing. I enjoyed that. But in general, zombie movies, I'm not a big fan. Um, there's only a couple that I would say, like Shaun of the Dead. I enjoyed oh, that. What a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic um, film. Zombieland I liked, but pretty much anything else, if you get into the whole zombie thing, I'm like, eh, I don't even really watch it. So it's just not my thing. Well, prior to 1968, zombies are a, a voodoo thing, right? It's it's a reanimated corpse brought back to life for, by his, uh, a voodoo priest or priestess to do their bidding. But but George Romero redefines the genre in 1968 with Night of the Living Dead. So we've got we've got a little bit of time left, and I, I know we got off to a, a kind of a weird late start with this because I don't know how to record properly. Um, <laughs> This is the Get the Knack podcast with Jerry Knack and, and my special guest, Aaron Chapman. And we're talking about all, all things horror, vampires. Let's talk a little bit about Halloween, right? Because even, even uh, you know, you've got, it's called Freeform now, but you've got Freeform, you've got Hulu, you've got all these different streaming services, but you also have Turner Classic Movies. The month of October has become spooky season. 
right? <laughs> and and everybody focuses on horror films this month and in the month of October. Now, again, like I said, I moved to Washington. I grew up in a place where in New York where we had fall. We had wonderful uh you know, trick-or-treating experiences, that kind of thing. Where I lived in California was stupid hot. It's still in the 80s in in October. (laughs) It's just freaking stupid. So I'm in a place now where, you know, it rains. Yeah, I love it. I I, I absolutely adore it, Aaron. You have no idea. So when it comes to this month and this Halloween season that we that we're talking about, where where's your head? What are you thinking? Do you does your mindset change this month or because we are fans, right? We are you and I are fans of of the horror genre. We love vampires. We love this this aesthetic. We love the storytelling. We love all of of this. But does your mindset change at all when when October rolls around? Um not so much actually. It's it's kind of funny because like I'll watch films or read the books that I like all year round. And I think the biggest thing that happens in October is I will, cause you know, there's tons of films on TV and I'll be like surfing, looking for something to watch. And then I'll see, Oh, I haven't seen that in years. And then I'll either PVR it or I'll look it up and make sure I have it. And I'll make a note and go watch it later, which again is what led me to scream. So I'm like, I'm going to rewatch the whole series. Cause I haven't seen it since they came out years ago. So if anything, I watch maybe a little bit more, but I kind of watch that much throughout the whole year, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And, and I'm kind of the same way. Um, but when it comes to October, my awareness, my heightened awareness ratchets up and I, yeah. I, I seek it out more than I normally would. Uh, I I mean, you know, yes, I agree with you a hundred percent. I'm watching horror movies whenever I feel like it. I'm reading, uh, good scary books whenever, whenever I want. I recommend Stephen Graham Jones. If you have not discovered this guy yet, uh, he he wrote something called the only good Indians. Um, and he's got a new one out called my heart is a chainsaw. It is sitting on my nightstand right now. I need to read it. Um, but, uh, a lot of native American folklore in his storytelling, um, talking about different types of, uh, of horror, right? I think the, uh, you know, you look at, you look at some of the stuff that's coming out, you know, in, in Mexican folklore is really interesting. You look at some of the native American stuff that's coming out is, is a lot of fun and different, um, and but uh, if if you get a chance, read some Stephen Graham Jones. You you will not regret it. Um, but as far as movies go, it seems like all the streaming services right now Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime they all have some sort of Halloween channel, some curated uh, batch of of horror films. Did you see the thing that Netflix announced with Elvira on Sundays? No, because I saw that she was on Shudder doing doing Um, a a 40th anniversary something or other. So I haven't tried to see it yet because I don't know if we have it in Netflix Canada because U.S. and Canada one is a lot different. Um, But it's supposed to be a Netflix and chill every Sunday night for the month of October where she's hosting it. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And, and if anybody uh, is not aware or has, you know, been living under a friggin' rock, Elvira just came out of the closet recently or the coffin yep. or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> right? Is it good for her? At 100% good for her, you know? And you know what's kind of funny is you always kind of suspected it, right? It's <laughs> it's almost like one of those worst-kept secrets. Be- when did that movie come out that she did years ago? Oh, geez, you're going to make me look it up, aren't you? Mistress, uh, Mistress of the Mistress Dark. Mistress of the Dark, yes. You're going to make me look it up, right? So okay. I remember that. I just don't remember what year that was. 88. 88, okay. 1988. And and the thing about Cassandra Peterson and and the character, right? And um, she kind of, I mean, she's got great social media game, but she kind of vaulted back into um, the public eye again when, um, what was that show? There was a show, it was about a, a curiosity shop in New York. And, and and one of the people that worked there was obsessed with Elvira. Went to California and met up with her and interviewed her. And um, okay, and it was called Oddities. Was the name of the show? Oh, I've seen a few episodes. Of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another one in California called Love to Death that I've actually been to in San Francisco. Um, okay. Yeah, and uh, so all of a sudden she she was thrust back into the limelight. And now, forty years, forty years on, or whatever it is after uh, *Mistress of the Dark*, she's she's back in uh, in the spotlight. And you know, the book that just came out, she's come out of the closet, all this other stuff. Here's the other interesting thing that I wanted you you mentioned *Hellraiser* earlier, but I wanted to ask you about this. Mm. So I don't know if you've ever read *The Hellbound Heart* or any other uh, *Hellraiser* material, like the comic books or anything else. But the new Hellraiser that they're talking about, the Hell Priest is going to be female, which is interesting. Ah, uh, be- yes, I read that. Yeah, the original Hell Priest in the book is female. Mm-hmm. So as I've much never as- read the books though. So I, I just read Hellbound Heart a couple of years ago or a year ago. A very interesting book, and it's kind of funny if I've read something after I've seen the movie. Um, I I fill in blanks, right? Or, or I, I, I know the story. It just depends who it is. Like Stephen King books, I love to read them, but the films, I'm not always. Eh. I'll give you a list. I'll give you a list of the good <laughs> ones, right? The good ones to watch. No, I love Stephen King, and I and I think you know the the guy has created this this unbelievable interconnected multiverse of of films and and short stories and and novels and novellas and and everything else over the course of 50 years it's it's actually spectacular what the guy's done um but at the same time his film adaptations as you alluded to are hit and miss they are sometimes they're good sometimes they're not and yeah <laughs> I, one of his books I really liked reading when I was younger was Needful Things, and I, just, I loved that book. It I was just amazing. read it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I saw the movie, and I was just like, "What is this?" Very disappointed. I was, I was. I was so disappointed. I agree with you because there was so much in the book that was left out of the film, and too many things were changed. Uh, the casting was pretty good, but um, and and I think Michael Rooker made a fantastic Alan Pangborn in in. Uh, in, in uh, the, the Dark Half, which is my favorite Stephen King book. Um, but, uh, you know, Ed Harris as uh, Pangborn in Needful Things was not was not good. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia was fine, and and Max von Sydow as uh, Leland Gaunt was fantastic. Uh, but uh, there, was, there were things I liked and things I didn't. 
but uh, like the the stand I recently watched, and I've never read the stand though. So this one, I was like, eh, it, it was okay, but again. I kept thinking of uh, Alexander Skarsgård as like True Blood. I'm like, I can't get you out of my head because that's all we know you as is Eric. And, fair, fair, <laughs> and and there go back and watch the original Stand miniseries, right? It's a whole different thing. Um, and you know, we get we could talk about all kinds of Stephen King stuff, right? We can talk about the most recent It. I don't know if you've seen the if you've read the book or not. Um, I've never read the book, and I saw the film the original one years ago which i said i don't remember much right, of it right but i've seen the last the recent two that were out so and i, think I enjoyed those i i like the the chapter one chapter two was a disappointment to me and i and i made it a point to read the book before chapter two came out and mentally mm-hmm. mentally i i filled in a lot of blanks in chapter two but uh you know i went I back it's the first one better if i yeah. had to pick right and I went back and I watched a 1990 miniseries recently, and I thought way too much Harry Anderson. And I love Night Court back in the day, but they're just... I know what Night Court is. Yeah, and there there's going to be a reboot, and it bothers me because Harry Anderson's dead. Well, she died recently. Marky uh, Post. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't remember her name. I can see yep. her face, the blonde yep. attorney. You got it. Marky Post passed away recently. So, but you know... It, I got a real problem with with certain reboots. Some are better than others. There's going to be a Salem's Lot reboot next year, which I'm really looking forward to. So we we get a, I don't know if you've ever seen a 1979 miniseries or read the book. So I've never seen it and I've never read the book. And someone got me the book and I've had it on my shelf for like four years and I've never read it. And Anthony's always like, you have to read it. And I'm like, I will. Oh, and then I just Aaron. get sidetracked with other books and Aaron. movies. I read it again about four years ago. There's a series. I put your books before reading that. So Thank there you go. You. Well, okay. All right. You're flattering me. Thank you very much. I haven't read book three yet, but I put the first two and I've read those. So they bumped up on my list because I liked the first one. So I'm like, oh, I got to read the second one. And then now I've kind of like got you, sidetracked. So you, at some point I got to get to the third one. You seriously flatter me. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Aaron, it, it, it's interesting because Salem's Lot, Right, starts with uh, a short story in his Night Shift collection. I believe came out in 1978, which is now a series called Chapelweight on Epics. And I've watched. I've recorded that, and I haven't watched it yet. I've watched the first couple of episodes. I don't have Epics anymore, and I'm waiting for all of them to drop before I like cheat the. Yeah, that's why I haven't watched it. I think it's got like six on there now, or something. It's recorded. Six or seven. Yeah, I got a. I got a couple more to go, and and then when that happens, I'll do that Epic seven day trial. (laughs) And I'm recording Doctor Death. I haven't watched that yet either. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Um, So. That short story, that is the prequel to the novel Salem's Lot, which was, I think, published in 1978, which is a 79 or 80 miniseries. And the thing about it is it has one of the most gut-wrenching deaths in any book I've ever read. So you got to read it. Okay. And and, and the, thing, the, the thing about... Stephen King's epic novels, he, he has a way of making you care about a lot of characters, right? I tend to, when I write, I tend to focus on a small group. 
All right. Two, three, four, five, maybe tops. Well, because he's building his little universe. Right. And in Salem's yeah. lot, he gets you to care about 20 to 25 people, just like needful things, right? You said you like need- yeah. needful things. He gets you to care about a lot of people. And then, because the moment they pop off, you're like, oh, damn, they got that guy? Oh, <laughs> oh, shit, they got her. Right? You actually care in that moment what happens to that person. So Salem's the, Lot is very similar to that. The dome I found was very similar to Needful Things in that sense. Did you read that? No, I have not read that one. I it's got on my that list. For, <laughs> I got it for a Christmas present when we were in England a few years back. And it was funny. I read it. I think it was 1,200 pages. And I read it in about a week because I was like, I'm not bringing this back in my carry-on. It weighs two kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I read the whole damn thing and I left it there. So it's still over at our relative's house in the closet. <laughs> so it's just like... Well, that's the thing with Salem's Lot. I had the mass make it mass market paperback, which I hate mass market paperback, but you know it's easier to carry that way. Um, it took me three weeks to read it. I read, I read a little bit or a lot in it every night for three weeks except for one night it took me three yeah. uh, three weeks to read that damn book it's 1300 pages um <laughs> but you know we could definitely you know spend another hour on stephen king but um the thing is with things like hellraiser coming back around i love clive barker i've been a fan for years um stephen king and and salem's lot there's they're they're talking about a new dracula movie that details his voyage from Transylvania to England aboard the ship the Demeter, which I find could be could be very, very interesting. Yes, I think I've heard about that one. So my my thing is this with the genre, especially franchises, right? And Dracula is the ultimate franchise, right? Because we, we talked about it earlier starting in 1897 and it still carries through to, to, to today, whether you like the book or not the character endures um what what i find that the the people who do well are the ones that add something to the narrative Mm, yeah right right? so it it keeps you interested you know it's it's a different spin on it right and you look at halloween right halloween and this is kind of where where we wrap the whole thing up in a nice, nice little bow. Halloween <laughs> in 1978 is one of the greatest horror films ever made. It is, I believe, number three on my list of my favorite horror films. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I loved her mom in Psycho. Yeah. Uh, she's a fantastic scream queen. And I think what's been happening with the Halloween franchise you're not adding anything to the narrative. It's predictable. There's nothing new. We're not learning anything new about any of the characters. It, it, it's really bugging me. But if you are going to continue a franchise, I wrote I wrote a, a, a detailed blog about where the Alien franchise went off the rails. Mm. I've only I haven't seen all of those because again, Alien stuff isn't my thing. But I've seen I think I think if I've seen a couple of them, maybe. I don't know how many is there. Is there five? Uh, there's more than five. Something? 
five, six. Wanted, well, if you want to count the predator ones, the alien versus predator, <laughs> there's there's about seven. But yeah, okay, maybe I've seen two, maybe I, three. I'll get, you, I'll get you a link to my blog on the topic. Um, <laughs> but but just any any of these these franchises, right? Friday the Thirteenth or, or Freddy or any of these, at some point they go off the rails, right? Yeah. If, if you're adding something to the narrative, right? Like I had high hopes for the BBC uh, Dracula series with Clay's Bang as, as Dracula. Um, the first two episodes were fantastic, and the third was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, See, I enjoyed it, and I think I only enjoyed it because of him and the character. He was he, just cocky. He, he was, was just, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. But I, the rest you. of it, I was like, eh, but he made it for me enough that I enjoyed it. Sure. And, and I don't disagree with you. And the first two episodes were great. And one of the things was the second episode was all about that boat trip on the Demeter across the Atlantic, right? So mm-hmm. so I think that could be interesting. Salem's Lot, um, a reboot of that could be very, very interesting. So I think... I think we're gonna. I you know I had hopes, high hopes for Dracula two thousand, right? And that kind of was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, Gerard Butler. Oh yeah, Dracula is actually Judas Iscariot. No, he's not. For crying out loud, stop it! They're supposed to be doing True Blood again already. Oh Jesus! Like Christ. I, I know I read that, and I was just oh. That's... That went off the rails in season three. <sighs> I watched all of it and it was okay, but I guess it's one of those things where, and I've talked about this before, I think in one of my posts is we're never happy as fans most of the time when something ends because, you know, we don't want it to end. And True Blood, I remember the ending annoyed me. One of the worst ones ever, and I think it's probably on a lot of people's top 10 list though is dexter which i'm really looking forward to seeing how they are rebooting dexter because i think it comes out maybe this month or next month i can't remember yeah it's soon um, you're, you're yeah right. but the way they ended that i was so pissed off I, you know, <laughs> I was just like yeah because uh, i enjoyed that series i thought it was a really good series i i, I agree 100 with that and and the thing of it is i think i think this whole thing about Series endings all started with Seinfeld. See, I was never a Seinfeld fan. Me either, but but the way it ended left so many people, you know. Were dis- they in jail or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay, they, yeah. They got arrested because some good Samaritan law or whatever. They didn't. They didn't like. They they turned a blind eye to something on the street, some crime okay. or whatever. But from then on, right, The Sopranos. Everybody yes. and their brother has a theory about how The Sopranos ends. Oh, he got whacked in the bathroom. Okay. So every like Game of Thrones, everybody and their brother. I've never watched a Game of Thrones episode in my life. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. But anyway, <laughs> regardless, it, it t- back to the whole social media thing, right? I mean, which is where you've made your bones. It, it touched off this firestorm. You know, people wanted to take up a petition. We're going to rewrite the end. Look, fucker, you're not a writer. You're not a, a, a showrunner. You don't know how this shit goes. So just well, look what look what the fans did with Lucifer. That got canceled. It was finished, and then Netflix picked it up, and now they just released the last season. They did three more seasons on Netflix. That they did. That so, they did. like. Yeah, I guess it just depends. Like, you know, unfortunately, some people with the fans, they'll get what they want, but other times, you know. 
And I think it just goes back to how if it's ended and they're satisfactory and they like the ending, then fans are more like, you know, okay, we're just going to leave it, let it lie, it's good, it's done, it's complete, we have closure. But then you have other ones and people just get upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we could we could go on and on and on about, uh, you know, how, how series ended or, you know, um, what the hell was that? That show, the fantasy show that had Orlando Bloom in it recently. Uh, I don't know about that either. <laughs> there was, there was, no, it was, it was, it was like one season. It was really good, and then you know, I don't know if they're going to do another season of it. Um, I think that for me, from from a horror standpoint, the biggest tragedy as far as how something ended was Carnival. I don't know if you ever saw Carnival. Uh, no, it was set in the 1920s or 30s, and in the American Dust Bowl, and uh, you know it was uh, it was a horror series, and it was really really well done, and it ended after two seasons, and we never got any kind of satisfaction whatsoever. Um, you know, yeah, because um, you don't know what happened, right? Because you know they just they cut it off, right? And then you look at a totally dissatisfying ending. You look at Penny Dreadful, the the first. You know, not the the most oh, recent the, one, but the, the yeah, the other one with, with Eva yeah, Green. Yeah, I really liked. Yeah, that right. one was good. Right, and and for me to put a cap on this entire conversation, it had everybody. It had Dracula. It, it had did. Lawrence Talbot. It had it had a version of the Frankenstein monster. It had Dorian Gray. It had Doctor yeah. Jekyll. It had everybody. It had witches. It had everybody. It had, in in it was the epitome of what a penny dreadful is all in one series. It was. It, and I liked the fact that every time you watched one, it was like, you know, out emerged another character. And I was like, Oh my God, they have this person too. And you know, you just kind of keep going as the series went along. 100%. And I, and I loved that series. I thought it was fantastic. And you know, what's so funny and I've written an extensive blog post. And again, I love things that come full circle, and we started the conversation with Dracula. We're going to end it with Dracula. Dracula has been the most misrepresented character throughout this entire genre. And even in Penny Dreadful, he was done very, very weakly and very poorly. And I don't understand what we got to do to get this guy his fucking due. To get a good Dracula? Yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Because, you know, movie executives, decisions, budgets, <laughs> things right? like that. <laughs> but but you get my point, right? I mean, if you go back and read, I, I went through every... Well, okay, how about, how about this? How, you know, like we've talked about like Anne Rice and Tom Cruise, how, you know, he was Lestat. Sure. If you, and she wanted Rutger Hauer and all this stuff, but if you had to pick, who would you want to be? Your Dracula. It's Bella Lugosi from the beginning. It's, no, 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 no. Now, if you now, have to pick one now. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> do you know? <laughs> I, no, a current one, not like from before. Oh, We're Jesus. Like, if someone, say, pulled it off and they just, you know, did it right and they did it the way you wanted, who would you have play Dracula? That's going to be a social media post. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to, have to put that in our group because off the top of my head, I can't tell you. 
because there's nobody. I, know, I can't either. That's why I'm asking you. To right, <laughs> right. Jonathan Rice Myers did it for NBC, and he was he was poorly cast. Right. So, um, no, I don't know. Right, because it has to be somebody. Be, here, here's the problem. The and and this permeates the entire genre. Bella Lugosi set the bar, right? And everybody loves Christopher Lee, and I do too. But Lugosi, with his mannerisms and his uh, the way he delivered dialogue and, and everything else, that is Dracula. And and nobody has come close, right? And and everything else is who do when you when you think of Dracula on Halloween, which is coming up in three weeks. When you think of Dracula, what do you think of? Blah, 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 right? You think of, <laughs> I want to suck your blood. It's the, it's the Bella Lugosi impression that's in your head, isn't it? Yes, because, you know, Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but, you know. But that's when the you one, say blah, blah, that's what I get. <laughs> but that's what's parodied, right? That is what we think of, right? We yes. think of, we think of, you know, uh, Ah, the children of the night, what music they make. That's what you think of, right? I am Dracula. You don't you don't think of of somebody who doesn't have that accent portraying it. So I gotta I gotta, I gotta think about it. I'll 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 come up with somebody, but but yeah. I I don't it's, know. It's hard because I don't I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I would choose. And even how you have all this stuff floating around for like Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. And that's another whole social media thing where they're picking the people that are starring in it now and the fans are going apeshit and they're just like, what? Are you kidding me? And then the fact that they're changing the storyline and everything and that's upsetting people. And because again, you're never going to win. You're no, just not going to no, get it. No, but even like dumb shit, like from, from Dusk Till Dawn, right? There was a series about that. But, but you know, the, the guys who played the Gecko Brothers were not Quentin Tarantino and um, George Clooney, right? I so, was watching that the other night, actually. It's funny you say that. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, and I, tried, I tried to watch it. And, and you know, the, you don't have Clooney and you don't have Tarantino, so you don't have the Gecko Brothers. It's, it's not the same to me. Yeah. And well, yeah. and that's where it's hard because they reboot stuff and they redo things. And it's like a lot of times, yeah, you know, original is the better one. Like, it's not very often that you get a reboot where, oh, it's, you know, this is so much better. Or you get people who then haven't seen the original and then they like this one because they don't know what they're missing. Fair, fair, because there's going to be a Lost Boys reboot. And I'm looking at the casting for that going, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, I saw that too. I saw oh. Lost Boys in the theater in 87. It's one of my favorite vampire films. It's one of my favorite films, period, right? And, and yeah. talk about another one that that kind of looks at real life and, you know, what would happen if if, you know, this this kind of, you know, got foisted on you as as real people. Um it, it's funny because I I lived near somewhat near Santa Cruz, which, you know, is actually Santa Carla. Uh, in, yeah. the, in the film and you know so i'm familiar with the area and all that stuff and and love Kiefer sutherland and and you know alex winter needs a job apparently hopefully he gets a cameo in the new one because all he can do is you know <laughs> uh bill and ted bill and ted movies with keanu reeves but um it, it's really interesting that you know as much as there's the, the reboots and everything and not as much as i'd love to see my own work uh adapted to film 
there's just so much stuff out there, right? From, there is. So, so well, can, and it's also easier now because you know you've got Netflix and you've got all these other. You know, it's not just like back in the day; it was just studios. It's you know everyone else is doing films. They've got budgets; they're pulling them all off. So let's uh, let's wrap this whole thing up. Let's let's um, get your thoughts and your opinion on where the horror genre is today. Mm. That's hard to say. Cause I just think it kind of goes over the years. It goes in waves. And sometimes like I'll go like, I don't know, six months or a year and I'll watch stuff. And I'm just like, this sucks. I'm not impressed. <laughs> and I don't find something that's even good. And then out of the blue, it's like, oh, that was really good. And then I'll watch another one and that was good. And that's why it seems for me to come in waves because I watch almost anything that comes out and, you know, fits in that horror genre. Like if I'm not watching that, I like to watch thrillers or I like spy espionage. Those are kind of my films that I like to watch. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't find it's always consistent. That's the unfortunate part for me. And where it's going... It's hard to say because I think from when we were kids and you had, you know, your Jasons and your Michael Myers and you, you had all these kind of movies in the way they were and it was just real people, real stuff, killer on the loose. I could see almost some of those coming back because I think it's just been that point where it will start to because, you know, things go seem to loop every 20 or 30 years. And it's funny because Halloween's endured that and they have the new one coming out soon and it's just lasted that long. So you'll have people watching it now, but then the same generation that's going to watch it now, they never saw the originals. So that's kind of the interesting part. I would like to see some more of that stuff getting, you know, if they want to reboot something, go for something like that. I don't know, because it might be interesting to see, like having them do that this many years later. I don't think they're going to pull it off like Halloween does, but, you know. For me, it's seeing more things like like Hellraiser, right? I'm, I'm such a Clive Barker fan and, and some of the other adaptations of, of elements. Maybe of, they should do Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> but, but again, I kind of look at it this way, especially with like television shows and some other things. I think the good ones... The ones I'm nostalgic about captured a moment in time. And I don't think you ever get that back. Mm. If that makes any kind of sense, right? Like, um, like, like if you go back and you watch, I can't even think of anything off the top of my head, but, it, but certain films, the, the movie Misery, right? And we were talking mm -hmm. about Stephen King, right? That captured a moment in time. And it was, it was the perfect casting yeah. And, and and I don't know how you recreate that. I don't know how you there's the I keep coming back to the and it kind of doesn't fit in the genre, but I keep coming back to the word charm. There's a charm that that happens with some of these films at that moment in time. Like the like the original 1982 The Thing, right, by John Carpenter. There's there's a charm to that film because of who's cast and and how it all plays out. You're not going to recreate that. Well, and that's where a lot of times, like how I said, like with the Dracula movie, it's like, it's not so much the films that like the three parts were good, but it's the actor for me is what pulled it off. 
I don't disagree with that. And, and so that's where I think some of the other films, like, again, you get a shitty cast. Well, you know, that's what happens. And it just kind of wrecks it because it's a key component. So, yeah, it's I don't know. Like, I think some of them, they can pull them off and they can do it. They just have to do it right. Yeah. And, and it, it's it can be done. Right. And just like like it. Chapter one, um, you know, everybody likes to talk about you know, the 1990 miniseries and there's some good elements, right? And everybody talks about Pennywise and, and Tim Curry in that role and, and a bunch of other things. But when you look at it, chapter one, it was pitch perfect. The atmosphere was good. The, the child actors cast were all perfect for their roles. It was really, really well done. So it can be done. You can, mm-hmm. you can grab that moment again, but it's very, very difficult. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Aaron, I've kept you probably a half an hour longer than I should have here on the Get the Knack podcast. But, you know, when it comes to horror films, horror books, uh, we didn't even talk about things like, like graphic novels and comic books. Um, but when it Oh, comes- I'm not a comic book girl. <laughs> well. Not at all. I don't think I've even read a comic book. I recommend if you read anything, check out American Vampire. Okay. Four graphic novels. Absolutely fantastic. So, if you like vampires, obviously you do. Check out American <laughs> Vampire. Um, but, uh, you know, Halloween's coming. And, you know, this time of year is you get the chill in the air in certain parts of the country, especially ours here in the Pacific Northwest. And it has been fantastic to have a substantive, long conversation with you. Somebody I have grown to call a friend. Well, we can do it again. You just let me know when. Absolutely. I think I think <laughs> definitely we need to do it again. I think there's there's uh, tributaries. It'll be your turn on mine, so that's okay. We'll schedule you in for a Morbid Planet. 100%. I'd be honored to be a guest on, on Morbid Planet. I think you're doing, doing great things. You know, it's funny. Um, as we wrap up the show, I wanted to mention, you, you said something earlier. When you first got into this online, you were looking for groups and, and whatnot to join yeah. and be part of. When I first started really, really getting into this uh, from an internet and a pop culture standpoint, it was weird websites on places like GeoCities in the late 90s. The va- <laughs> vampire community was huge online. And everybody and their brother had this website, and they had all these like dripping animated blood gifs and all kinds of insanity. And and everybody and their brother fancied themselves some sort of uh, vampire character. And it, it just seems very interesting how things have morphed and evolved. I think you are the uh, progenitor and administrator of probably the largest vampire pop culture community online. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really check out the other ones. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there are any other ones. There, it's all you. There are a lot of groups. If you start digging, there's a lot of vampire groups on Facebook. I keep coming um, back to yours, of, though. That's the- <laughs> there's a lot of horror groups as well. Yes. And there's some really massive ones that I'm in. Um, Bloody but again, Disgusting is fantastic. Oh, I know. I love their stuff, and I share yeah. a lot of their things. So, Same. But I know a lot of the ones that I share and that I look at and it's basically since I started like I guess back in 2013 up to this point it's like Facebook fortunately has enabled me to create a huge network 
And now that I've gone into doing Morbid Planet and I'm going to start doing more videos and things like that, it's opened the door for a lot of people that, you know, I wouldn't normally have been in touch with or be in touch with now. So, for instance, um, we will be having, coming up soon, Gordon Melton will actually be on Morbid Planet. So, yeah, so it's it's kind of cool. It's enabled me to meet people like you. It's enabled me to meet other authors, some artists. Um, I was just talking about uh, how basically the last, since 2013, I've... Facebook and everything's been able, it's enabled me to build like a huge network of people, which at this point now, I can tap into that network for my new YouTube show. Yeah, which is great. And I can't wait to be uh, be a guest on your show. And uh, I've been wanting to have you on the Get the Knack podcast for years now. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all right. I, I'd be skeptical of my crazy ass too. Um, but, uh, but here's... What I what I don't get, and we'll we'll wrap the whole thing up with this, is we should not have to be evangelists for this genre, right? I mean, after a hundred years, if you want to go all the way back to 1922 and Nosferatu, and let's say yeah. that's where it all starts, we should not have to be evangelists for this genre. It should stand on its own, and it should should be a recognized thing. We should not have to be evangelists for it. I guess it just depends on everyone's tastes at this point. Tastes morph over the years. So you get more horror fans and sometimes you get less. I guess that's the way I'd look at it. Fair enough. Yeah. But I will say this. I have no problem thumping my chest and standing on the mountaintop shouting about how great horror films and literature and even comic books and art are and how important they are to our, not pop culture, our culture in general. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. We're able to tell stories in ways that, that you can't tell in any other genre. We can talk about the things that scare us. We can talk about the things that, that keep us up at night. And it's a way for our, us to work out our actual personal demons. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt yeah. that way. Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. Well, hopefully these files have saved on the card and we don't have to do the show all over again. <laughs> hopefully, if not, you know, there's always round two. There's always round two. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you very much for joining me here on the Get the Knack podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's been great. I had a good time. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this week's show, everybody. Join me next week for the next episode of the Get to Knock podcast. I will have author and entertainment reporter Mark London Williams on the show, good friend of mine. Uh, and it's been a while since he's been on the show. He uh, he likes to write zombie books. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what he's got to say about Halloween and everything that's going on in Hollywood right now. Uh, so, Aaron, thanks again for joining me. And uh, we'll see you on the Facebook. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the Have Facebook. a good night. You too. <laughs> That's going to do it for this edition of the Get in the Act podcast. We'll see you next time.